and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As always, I'm your host, Bill Words, with Billy Joel's pressure fading out in the background. This is episode 66. I think last time I said it was episode 66 and I got that wrong. I keep mixing up the episodes. Um, this is the episode of March 24th, 2022, uh, presumably one of the last episodes, maybe even the last one of March uh, that we have in store for you here at the Consumer Podcast. As always, if you want to support this project of the Consumer Choice Center, you can go on consumerchoicecenter.org slash donate and support us by buying us a coffee or whatever you want to do with your donation. Um, you can put that in there and it'll be going to good use. Um, this week, I have a Reiner Klute from Nuclearia back on on the podcast. He supports uh, nuclear energy in Germany, as does his organization. So we chatted about what the war in Ukraine and the sanctions on Russia mean exactly for nuclear power in Germany. Could it see actually a revival? We'll see in uh, the episode. So if you go toward the end of this episode, you'll be able to listen to the entire exchange that I had with Reiner Klute. Before that, I'll be talking about blue and green hydrogen, uh, because that's part of the European Union's strategy as well when it comes to energy. And my colleague Alexander Kokotovic will be joining us as well. We'll be talking briefly about the cryptocurrency regulation that the European Parliament was trying to do with its new MICA rules. We'll be talking about what exactly that is and what it meant uh, possibly for the crypto space. Fortunately, there were some amendments that were struck down, so we'll be chatting about those as well. So let's get started. Blue hydrogen is something that Germany is trying to get from the United Arab Emirates. Uh, Economy Minister Robert Habeck was just in uh, Abu Dhabi to uh, make a case and even make new contracts to get blue hydrogen delivered directly to Germany now that uh, the, the war in Ukraine still continues on and that there might be a possible ban on all fossil fuels coming from Russia, which is a huge energy shift for Europe. Of course, we'll be talking to Rainer Klute about that as well towards the end of the episode. But hydrogen is part of this strategy, or at least was, because it turns out that the European Commission has um, uh, is trying to reconsider its strategy because it relied heavily on something called blue hydrogen. Now, you have to know that with hydrogen overall, this is something that is about 90%, I think a bit above 90% even, uh, is made out of natural gas. And most of our natural gas we get uh, from Russia still right now. And even though Europe is trying to diversify um, uh, the, the, the landscape here, um, it's going to be really difficult to supply just another, yet another energy source with natural uh, gas to make hydrogen out of it. It doesn't seem to be the right course of action, especially as uh, the stocks need to be refueled for next winter. Now that the prices are already high, uh, Europe is trying to, to fill up the stocks and make sure that next winter people don't go cold. And this is specifically, of course, true for countries such as Germany, which are so heavily reliant on Russian gas. But what is the big deal with hydrogen and why exactly can't it be just used everywhere? Um, I have an interesting report to, to, to give to listen to you, like an excerpt that, uh, we, uh, that we found here at the CCC from uh, Deutsche Welle. So listen in. So is that it? Problem solved. We just make tons and tons of green hydrogen and then run our entire economies on it. Well, unfortunately, it's not that simple. One big challenge that remains is hydrogen's relatively low energy density. You need about three times more space to store the same amount of punch compared to natural gas. So we'll likely have to build a lot of new storage facilities, depending on how much hydrogen we'll actually need. And how much that's going to be is a tricky question. Renewable electricity is still a scarce, precious resource. and We should use it as effectively and as efficiently as we can. And hydrogen may not be the 
best way to do that. Hygiene can be used for everything, but that doesn't mean it should. So the future is finding the balance between what we use for battery and what we use for hydrogen. Passenger cars are a great example for this. They can run on hydrogen fuel cells, but turning electricity into hydrogen, transporting it to refueling stations, pumping it into a fuel cell to then convert it back to electricity is just not very efficient. About 60% of the energy you put in gets lost along the way. Alternatively, you could just use the same energy to directly charge a lithium-ion battery that powers an electric motor. Here, only 20% of the energy gets lost. With trucks, it's a slightly different story. It was long believed that batteries weren't going to work here. To move heavy trucks, you'd need loads of them, which take up valuable cargo space, and long charging times aren't really great for business either. But it seems this technology race isn't over yet. Batteries are becoming more powerful and charging times are going down, so much so that this recent study points towards battery electric trucks dominating the market in the future. So there seems to be the problem with hydrogen overall is that it's not a one-size-fits-all solution and it's going to be difficult to shift everything to green hydrogen, which is about, I think, 2 or 3% of the entire production level. And that is definitely not something that the European Union can do very quickly. So it's going to be really interesting to see how hydrogen fits into um, fits into the entire narrative here on energy transitions. Because yes, uh, hydrogen does have the advantage of emitting basically just water, but of course the production levels are also CO2 intensive, especially those coming from fossil fuels. So there again, the CO2 emissions level will be have, have to be taken into account because that's what we do with all the European Union uh, policies right now. So hydrogen will have its big question mark set behind it. And it's going to be interesting to see how the European Union will treat it, but also make sure that the um, infrastructure levels to actually use it uh, uh, will be put in place. Because right now we're still talking about how many uh, electricity terminals are there for electric cars, but nobody's talking yet about hydrogen. And if you really want to use like a fuel up station for your, your lorry or the just your passenger car for hydrogen, you'll be hard pressed to find anything like that. And right now we're sort of looking at this short term perspective on energy transition. So yeah, let's keep an eye on it, and we definitely will at this podcast. Next up, Alexander Kokotovich. He's the crypto fellow at the Consumer Choice Center and took a very close look at the new European Parliament legislation that was discussed and actually some very uh, dicey amendments on cryptocurrencies uh, that were narrowly rejected. And so we talked about what exactly they're trying to do, why they were trying to do it, and what it meant for the crypto space. Alexander Kokotovich, we are talking today about crypto regulation. I'll see almost like a tongue twister right there. <laughs> and um, um, but, but apparently more knowledge on both of our sides than uh, some of the EU regulators who were trying to um, uh, bring new rules uh, to the crypto space. And um, for those listeners that might not necessarily know what this was all about, it caused quite an uproar. And I wanted to get your uh, first your analysis as to like what exactly were European Parliament lawmakers trying to do? And sort of how was the chronology of that, that whole legal scenario we were going through there? So basically, um, a week or 10 days ago, uh, depending on when, when this is being aired, uh, the European Parliament's Econ Committee was voting on um, a rather comprehensive regulatory proposal called MICA, which is uh, the Marketing Crypto Assets proposal, which has been in the works for months now. And um, several... Uh, Last-minute amendments have been added to the proposal in the past in the couple of days before uh, the vote, uh, which would, if they were to be accepted, 
could effectively ban Bitcoin and cryptocurrency mining in the European Union. Not only that, but if, if that did happen, basically it would mean um, prohibit, a prohibition of issuance or offering for exchange of crypto assets that rely on proof of work protocols. So proof of work uh, for some of your listeners who are not as versed in, in, in crypto basically means or is usually called mining. So that basically means that computers are approving transactions. And uh, in case if, if this would happen, it would cause a huge, huge, um, well, negative downturn on both crypto in the EU, but it would also harm consumers and the whole nascent industry currently in in Europe. Um, so these amendments were um, were initially stricken down from from uh, being uh, being in the in the proposal. However, a couple of days before the vote, they were re-added, um, and the crypto community did. Uh, react and people started co con uh, contacting their MEPs, started um, uh, going off on social media and kind of basically uh, presenting what kind of threats would, would this make. Um, and yeah, I mean, um, for a couple of days, it was it was unclear if, if this was going to, to pass. And if it did, um, we would see a loss of almost an immediate loss of uh, value for crypto on the markets, but also it would have huge, um, huge consequences for both the industry currently developing in Europe, but also um, consumers and talent and everyone else who's who's involved in this market. So, uh, Alexander Kokotovich, what exactly is the argument for these uh, regulations? What are what are regulators trying to prevent? What harm is there done by crypto that they want to move against? So MICA is a, is a comprehensive proposal. It has over six, um, 600 pages, 660, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken. And it tackles a wide variety of aspects of crypto, ranging from stable coins to uh, exchanges to money transmitter licenses to many of these things on the European Union level. This particular amendment, there, there were two amendments to be, to be exact, called Alt-A and Alt-G. And uh, these were specifically targeting uh, proof of work and uh, those who propose these amendments were largely uh, trying to to target uh, proof of work on the grounds of it being um, not environmentally friendly uh, enough for uh, for the lawmakers and basically they were encouraging um, encouraging uh, wide European wide ban on people mining or uh, mining cryptocurrencies or basically approving proof of proof of work. Um, I think it would be a, an extremely extremely bad decision for for EU citizens. It would practically push many of the consumers outside of the of of um, European Union um, um, of exchanges in the European Union and basically encourage them to to circumvent the law and therefore push them to less regulated platforms. Ultimately, um, kind of pushing many, many Europeans who are currently in the market, pushing them out of that market to either use other unregulated or less regulated platforms. In my mind, that would likely create way, way more harm for an average European consumer than um, than that what we are seeing right now. And on the other side, on the other hand, obviously what, what would also happen is that we would see uh, a number of exchanges, cryptocurrency, um, 
industry uh, uh, companies who are currently involved in, in mining and many other activities who would have to either flee uh, from, from Europe and change, change jurisdictions or close their shops altogether. And then one more thing, uh, Alexander, that is the, the now that the amendments have been, the, the, the worst part of the amendments have been struck down, um, do you think that the threat has now been uh, eliminated from the, from the regulatory range or do you think there might be new proposals that could go in the same wrong direction? Um, it's it's very hard to tell at this point. I think for now it's relatively safe. Uh, I think uh, this this uh, the the fact that these amendments were not accepted is a is a very good signal in the direction where the proposal is going to be going, and we're likely from from what we're hearing so far, we're likely not going to be seeing those proposals being back on the table. Um, so for now, I think proof of work uh, bans are not going to be discussed on the European Union level in the next couple of couple of months, hopefully years. Uh, but we will be seeing uh, more effort by European uh, European uh, regulators to um, to work on the on the on the crypto regulation, and we're likely going to be seeing that in the next couple of months. However, I think that whatever we're going to be getting, and there's definitely there's definitely going to be. Uh, battles to be won when it comes to this regulation, but this was one of the biggest battles that that there was, and it's extremely, extremely encouraging for for anyone interested in crypto that uh, in Europe that uh, these amendments did not pass. Also, make sure to follow Alexander Kokotovich at Kokota on Twitter. That's K O K O T A. And then last but not least, we have Rainer Klute from the German organization Nuclearia, a pro-nuclear energy organization uh, in Germany that uh, argues for uh, a continuation of the, the current uh, nuclear power plants that are, uh, I think the last ones are just about to be uh, phased out. He'll be explaining all of that uh, to us. And then also they argue for more nuclear power to be used. So why exactly is that? You might remember uh, Rainer Klute being on this podcast before. Of course, now new momentum for this organization as energy independence is a bigger topic than ever before, really, you could say. Uh, now that uh, Germany is not building Nord Stream 2 and natural gas imports and oil imports from Russia are under question. So uh, take a listen to this. I found the, the, the conversation very illuminating um, and a lot of new facts for you to learn. So Rainer Kluter, I, I, I think I was mentioning ju it just pre-recording that, you know, saying I told you so is never a great approach, but you are definitely one of the people that is able to say I told you so because you've been claiming for a long time already that Germany should not get out of nuclear energy. And right now, it seems that the government is agreeing with you. Uh, now that uh, uh, Ukraine uh, being attacked by Russia, sanctions on Russia itself, energy, Europe is scrambling for energy. And the question is, how do we get energy? So um, tell us a bit about um, how your experience has been over the last few weeks talking about this issue and sort of Germany's alternatives. Yeah, well, you said that the government is agreeing with me. Unfortunately, it isn't. Um, the government agrees with me that, that energy is uh, desperately needed. However, it still wants to phase out uh, the remaining uh, nuclear power plants. And that's, uh, that's really a contradiction in itself. We need any bit of energy we can get and at the same time, we shut down uh, well-functioning nuclear power plants. That's that's crazy. That's ideology. There's three left, right? There's uh, the three that should be phased yeah. out at the end of this year. Is that correct? 
that's correct. Yeah, three are still running and uh, three have been shut down by the end of last year and we could and we should reactivate them. So I heard um, economy minister uh, Robert Habeck from the environmentalist uh, party. He said that everything should be on the table. Uh, everything could be reconsidered. So you have no confidence that the government might say, hey, we might we might uh, take a different view on nuclear energy. Well, when when uh, Robert Habeck said that, I uh, got very optimistic uh, that he really wanted to do a, a thorough assessment uh, of nuclear energy, especially nuclear energy in Germany and the remaining plants and so on. Uh, and, uh, and instead of doing a thorough assessment, uh, his ministry, together with the environmental ministry, issued a paper only a few days later uh, that they came to the conclusion uh, that uh, nuclear still should be phased out and it wouldn't make a difference uh, to, to keep the plants running or not. And uh, alone, these, the, the fact that, that this paper came out only, only very few days uh, after the announcement uh, shows that uh, that, that uh, assessment uh, cannot have been uh, really uh, a thorough uh, assessment. And what, what's more, experts in the field have not been asked for their opinion. Well, that is that, that is very interesting because there's, a, there's sometimes a disconnect between the international news on Germany's government reconsidering and sort of the, the, the national information on that. But um, would it even be practically possible to reopen plants that were just closed down in December? Yes, that would be possible. Uh, two of the three plants uh, haven't even got uh, a permission for decommissioning. So they are still in more or less the same state as they were by the end of last year. So that, um, well, uh, simply put, you, you could just uh, turn on the, uh, the switch and, and keep them running or, or continue uh, operating them. One of the plants uh, has begun decommissioning, but as far as I know, that process is, has not gone very far for now. So it could be reversed, would take some time, would take some effort, sure, but it uh, would still be possible. But how political is all this? Because I see that the, even the, the Belgian environmentalist party in Belgium, they, they've decided to, to keep the nuclear power plants uh, open, even though there were decisions being made to close them down. Is it really difficult for the German Green Party to say, sorry, we got this wrong, we need to take a step back? Is, that, is it really just politics? Yeah, it's, it's not only politics, it's ideology. Uh, the Green Party in Germany has been founded um, as a party to, to uh, get rid of nuclear power. Not to save the environment at, at first, but to get rid of nuclear power. And everything else uh, has to, um, is dwarfed by, by, that, by that game, uh, by that goal um, to, to get rid of nuclear. And uh, be it environment, be it climate change, or climate protection, uh, anti, being anti-nuclear is is the main uh, the main perspective uh, of of the Greens in Germany. Unfortunately, yeah. And what about some of the other alternatives now? Because Germany is supposed to uh, initially Germany was supposed to phase out coal power by two thousand and thirty eight, and it was advanced to two thousand and thirty. Now the question is going to be raised: Should it be back to two thousand and thirty eight? So coal seems to be easier to keep longer than nuclear power. Um, yeah, it's it's ridiculous, um, but but that's 
that's what we have uh, in in Germany. That is our politics. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and coal is the worst energy source we have. Uh, coal is uh, uh, costs a million of lives worldwide each year. Uh, you, you can say every every 30 minutes you um, coal costs as many lives as one Chernobyl. So, so that's really huge. And uh, I cannot understand uh, how the German Greens, how the German politics uh, can go that, that way. And um, now we have the situation that we uh, need every energy we, we have. Uh, we want to get rid of uh, Russian fossil fuels. That is not only gas, that's also coal, hard coal and oil. Um, and um, I think in a, in a practical in a practical sense, um, the phasing out of coal of uh, in in the year 2030 is uh, is not possible, and I think 2038 is also not possible, because the whole plan relied on uh, on the availability of natural gas, and uh, and that will be very hard. Um, we can no longer rely on, on Russian gas, that's for sure. Not only because we, we do not know uh, if or when uh, Putin will um, cut off our gas supply, but we should have um, a moral obligation to, to stop importing uh, fossil fuels from Russia, because uh, by that we are financing uh, Putin's war or the Russian war against Ukraine and who knows against uh, which other countries in the future. Now, I've heard some of the environmentalists say on Twitter, for instance, that um, it would be a misconception to believe that nuclear power in itself is not a fuel, fossil fuel energy. It is. And, and some of the imports of that come from countries that are also complicated, such as Kazakhstan. What do you say? What do you say about those concerns? Because now that France is building 14 new nuclear power plants, it also needs Im imports from, from other countries, some of them more difficult to deal with. Um, how do you respond to these to these claims when when it comes to where do you get your uranium from? Yeah, um, the the most important uh, aspect is that uranium is available from a huge number of countries, uh, not only Kazakhstan, but also countries like Australia or Canada, for example. And um, if you if you uh, take it to the extreme. Um, Uranium is everywhere in the ground, uh, not not everywhere in in um, high densities, but it is available. And uh, if the cost don't matter, uh, you can you can dig out your own uranium uh, and and make uh, fuel assemblies out of them uh, out of it. Um, and and the costs really don't matter much. Um, the price of uranium does not influence um, the overall costs of nuclear uh, power. So, so even if the uranium price uh, rises or gets higher by multiples, it won't affect the price of the generated electricity much. So that's that's a quick answer, and 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 the long term, the very long term answer is um, that we don't only have um, the that kind of uranium we use in nuclear uh, power plants of today, which is the so-called uranium two thirty-five, 
But we can also use in other types of reactants the uranium-238, which has a much higher uh, share of, of the total uranium. So in, in nature, the, uh, the today's uranium-235 has a share of only 0.7%. And the rest, the 99.3%, uh, or uh, you could also say nearly nearly all the uranium uh, is uranium 238, uh, which can be used by future uh, uh, reactor types. And then we have enough um, fuel supply for thousands and ten thousands of years. Now that is uh, th that is very interesting, and it's good for listeners to know about these these specifics. Um, something I, I've seen sort of a distinction between the environmentalist movement across Europe is that some of them say in, in different countries in Europe say, okay, we need to put a break on sort of these ambitions that we had when it comes to renewables because it's just currently not doable. Others feel vindicated, uh, and I, and I think Germany is an example of that, where the environmentalist movement has sort of said, well, this just shows that our investment in, in renewable energy have been so important because we need this energy independence. So where exactly is Germany right now on renewables? Uh, if, if there's no more imports of fossil fuels from abroad, how much of Germany can actually be powered right now with wind and solar and so on? Uh, the, the question is more, is more when can Germany be powered by wind and solar? There are times uh, when Germany uh, can be completely powered on wind and solar, typically, uh, typically uh, uh, Sundays, holidays, when the sun is uh, blow, uh, when the sun is shining and the wind is blowing, uh, and uh, energy demand is rather low, then then we have uh, really uh, two hundred percent renewable uh, energy. But uh, um, in uh, at night, and especially when the wind is not blowing, uh, we have only uh, well zero to a few percent, and then. Uh, other energy sources have to uh, kick in. And uh, this is currently uh, mostly uh, fossil fuels. We have a, a little bit of uh, hydro, uh, 4 or 5% maximum, uh, and we have the remaining nuclear power plants. But that's it. And, and we will never be able to get rid of that uh, because the wind is not blowing all the time and the sun is not shining all the time and will never be. How concerned how concerned are you that Germany, which still remains quite an industrial nation, will actually be hard hit by some of the energy choices that have been made? I mean, Germany right now has, as far as I know, the highest electricity prices in, in all of the developed world. Um, what does that mean for Germany's economy? Uh, uh, nothing good. Um, because... If, if you have a company that, uh, that needs a lot of energy and, and the energy is, is that high as it is today, and electricity prices will still rise, I, I think, uh, then you, are, you will look for alternatives and, and, and uh, move to countries where energy is cheap or at least cheaper than in Germany. Yeah, in, in France, for example, yeah, uh, France has a lot of um, a lot of nuclear power, so that could really be a cheap and and nearby alternative. So that on the on the other hand, one might say, okay, 
that um, that reduces the the electricity demand in Germany. So uh, the prices could go down again, <laughs> but that that does not help much. That doesn't help much, and it, and it would also be uh, quite cynical. Uh, uh, Rainer, yeah. we're getting towards the end uh, of of the of the interview, but I wanted to ask you just uh, quickly. Um, what sort of your organization has been doing lately on this issue? How have you been communicating about it? What have you have you like what kind of uh, protests or actions have you done to to try and convince more people that, hey, uh, this is really the time uh, to 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 push down on nuclear energy? Uh, we have uh, not um, done much uh, regarding outdoor action actions except except well the last actions were we we uh, had stands at um, at the nuclear uh, power plants that uh, were shut down by by the end of last year uh, and aside from from that we are active uh, on twitter and on uh, on other and other social media including our website and uh, our member member numbers are rising um, most recently, we have uh, analyzed that um, assessment in quotation marks uh, of of the German uh, ministries. We we spoke about that, uh, and we have um, in depth um, well found an alternative um, and uh, and uh, identified additional electricity uh, amounts of electricity we can get from the nuclear plants without even using any fresh fuel and we laid that down in, a, in an article uh, we published on our website and that is um, the ministry's argument their the argument is well um, when the when the power plants the three remaining ones run on full power until the end of the year december 31st then the fuel uh, elements are empty, used up, and uh, then there, there's no possibility to, to extract any, any more electricity from them. This is not right. Um, right is only that the plants cannot run uh, on full power after, after December 31st, but they can run on reduced power for, for uh, several weeks. And uh, after that, you can shut down the reactor, reshuffle the fuel assemblies uh, inside of the core, uh, and, and start up the plant again. Then you can run the plant with full power for several weeks, and then again with, with, the with that reduced, in that reduced power mode, the so-called stretch out. And overall, we, we could continue operating the plants for seven to eight months yeah until until the end of the summer next year there's a there are tremendous amounts of additional electricity uh, which would have uh, a value of about three billion euros billion not million three billion euros roundabout so that's that's a lot and that could take the pressure from uh, from the gas demand because every kilowatt hour a nuclear power plant produces has not to be produced by by a gas-fired plant but can be used for heating industry or uh, any other um, usages of gas 
Ryan Kluge, thank you so much for uh, helping to educate not just the German public, but also our audience on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I will be putting the links down for our listeners to Nuclearia and to uh, Ryan Kluge's personal Twitter account as well, where he tweets a lot about this. Um, and so uh, please go and check them out. They do great work in Germany. And, uh, and I think it's an interesting part of the conversation that will continue as uh, Europe keeps being divided on how exactly to react to this problem. So, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Bill. And that concludes this week's episode of Consumer. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow Reiner Kluter on Twitter at Reiner underscore Kluter and check out the work of Nuclearia on nuclearia.de. Of course, follow the Consumer Choice Center as well on Twitter at Consumer Choice C. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, see you Thursday. You have to learn to pace yourself. Pressure. You're just like everybody.